0: So uh, today, I had the first person come up to me, and our, our guiding passage for the year is John 15, 5 through 11, and Shane. Shane was the first person to come up and quote it. Can we put our hands together for that? So we got a gift card coming for Shane, and uh, I'm telling you, anybody else, you come up, you memorize John 15, 5 through 11, adult or child? Just come and tell me. And uh, We won't be doing it forever, okay, the whole year, but the next few people or so, we'll get you a little gift card and just want to challenge you to memorize God's Word. John 15, 5 through 11 is our guiding passage this year, and uh, we are just now beginning our new series last week in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, and uh, last week, we began the series and we looked at the first couple of chapters of the book of Ezra. And if we were to be writing the scriptures, we would actually probably flip Ezra and Nehemiah. We, we saw that last week because in the book of Ezra, God encourages the people to, uh, and, and commands the people to rebuild the house of God before the city of God. And for most of us, we would not do it that way. We would build the walls around the city first, and then build everything inside of it, especially back then because of people coming and trying to attack you. But God knew what he was doing. God knows what he's doing. Can I get an amen? Amen. God knows what he's doing, and he starts with the house of God. Because it's in the house of God that we understand who he is. It's in the house of God where we worship who he is and what he has done and what he has said. It's in the house of God, particularly the temple in the Old Testament, where the people had an understanding of the manifest presence of God. And so the the rebuild always starts with the house of the Lord. So last week we looked at this big idea that is rise and rebuild the house of the Lord. And we saw that the rebuild begins with God in Ezra chapter 1. It starts with God, and God is fulfilling His promises in chapter one that He had made to the people of God in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine. Now we all know Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, right? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We often put that verse on coffee mugs in picture frames, maybe old school, you know, cross stitch framed. We we tend to use verses like that out of context. But if you look at Jeremiah 29:10, God tells the people through the prophet of Jeremiah that there would be 70 years of exile. And after 70 years of exile that he would bring them out. That he would fulfill his plans, not to harm them but to prosper them. Plans to give them a hope in a future. But this seventy years of exile was as a result of their disobedience to God, and in spite of their disobedience, the hope that we see in Ezra chapter one is that God keeps His promises. After seventy years, God brings the people out of exile, and He brings them back into their land, and He does it through this guy named Cyrus. Cyrus is the the leader, the king of Babylon. He's a wicked man, but God impresses upon Cyrus to send the people out to rebuild, to reestablish the house of the Lord. He actually pays for it. He takes resources out of his own coffers and he sends the people away to go rebuild the house of God. And so we saw last week that the rebuild begins with God. That's true in our lives. We want to see our lives rebuilt and founded upon God. It starts with Him. It doesn't start with you and me. It starts with God and what He has done. It starts with Jesus and His perfect life and His sacrifice and His death and His resurrection. It's what we celebrate later on in our service through communion. This is what we celebrate. Everything, the rebuild in our lives, doesn't start with you and me. It starts with God. And so that's what we looked at last week. We also saw that the rebuild requires a reordering of your life and loves. I love this because it ties into Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it says, all these things will be added unto you. That the Children of Israel, all the way back here in the book of Ezra, had to reorder, reorient their life and their love around God. For 70 years in exile, they had learned other practices, they had learned other ways, they had been assimilated into another culture. It's the same thing that we face today in our world. We're being assimilated into a culture that has nothing to do with God that has nothing about God in its core, in its soul, in the core of its being. And yet God starts, and he initiates, and he calls them to reorder their life and love around him. This is so important because in my small group this week, it was cool, the insights that came out. When we choose to seek first the kingdom of God, this was an insight that was shared in our group. It says that in the New Testament, God calls us the temple. Right? So in Ezra, they're rebuilding the temple of God. But in the New Testament, believers are the temple of God. We host, we have Him, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so that requires a reordering of our life and our loves around Him. So as we step into this year, 2023, we're facing a moment where we need God to show up in a big way. Every single one of us. Collectively, as a church, we're facing needing God to show up in a big way. We need him to show up to provide the finances for us to buy this building. Can we get an amen to that? We need to show him to show up. we got to raise a, a huge ton of money. We're going to do that. We're going to be talking more about that next Sunday night at our members meeting, and then the Sunday after that or the, a couple weeks after that, we'll share it with everyone. But we want to see God move in a big way. It's impossible without him. And so we need to trust Him, believe in Him, realize it's all about Him. It's for Him as we rebuild the house of God. Maybe you need God to show up in a big way just in your life. Anybody? Can I get a hand raised for that? You need God to show up in a big way this year in your life. It starts with God in your life, not you. Everything in this world is encouraging you to build your life on your plans, your foundation, and the book of Ezra helps us to see that it's built upon God. Today, we look at Ezra chapter 3. If you'll turn to Ezra chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to get one. If you don't have one, we'll get one for you. We'll encourage you um, by giving you one, and, uh, or you can pull it up on your phone. That'd be great, too. You can download a free app. But I'd encourage you to have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you. Ezra chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1 through 13. It says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening, and they kept the feast of the booths as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord, from the first Day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to all the Sidonians and the Tyrenes to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. So I just want to point something out this morning from what we just read, that it's like commonplace for people to give sacrificially of their time, money, resources, and talents, and for people to provide food for them. So we had this happen yesterday. Yesterday we got a new back door put in, and we had men here at the church who were working and I'm sure we provided some food while you guys were working. Maybe some hamburgers, maybe some pizza. But can we put our hands together for the men that worked yesterday? This is like, like what we see right here in the passage, right? These men, Jamie and George and Kenny and Jeremy and, and Van and others who gave of their time to just get down and, and pull an old door out and put a new door in. This is like all like Old Testament stuff happening here, right? People who are serving and giving of their time and, and helping the house of God be built. We see it right here. Now, in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, we already read that part, Let's go down. Verse 10, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. There's there's a couple phrases there that we're going to come back to here in just a moment, but it says, As it was written, or according to the word. That's really, really important. We see this, that the word of God is important, that they're following the word of the Lord. The end of that verse, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. When they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from afar away. Let's take a moment and ask God to help us understand these words. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word that you inspired. We thank you for your word, God, that helps us to see who you are, what you've done, and what you've said. God, I pray that you would help us to see what the rebuild requires and how it's all been provided. Whether that's personal rebuild in our lives, corporate rebuild in the life of your church, whether that's provision externally, Or provision internally for something that we're struggling with. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to us today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said. So, our big idea today is this the rebuild requires more, and it's all been provided. The rebuild requires more, and it's all been provided. In the first three verses, we see our first point this morning, which is this, that the rebuild requires an altar of our God. So before the people can truly worship God, there needs to be an altar built. And the question is, why does there need to be an altar? Because like you're like, we don't have an altar here, and praise the Lord, we don't have animal sacrifices. That would be weird, right? That would be in the category probably for us as cult, right? probably a good thing. If, if we came in here and there was animal sacrifice, we'd probably get shut down by the city. And so you're like, why is an altar important? It's hard for us to cross the gap. Whenever you're studying the scriptures, sometimes the gap between their time and our time is pretty narrow. There are aspects in studying the Bible where you're like, that's not very far. The the principles or the practices or the, the theological truths don't feel like they have very far to go for me to understand. And then there are texts like this where the gap between where they are and we are is really, really wide. And so we gotta understand what's being communicated here. The key word to understanding What the altar was all about was repentance, was repentance. The second key word is the word atonement. So for the people of God in the Old Testament, the way that repentance and atonement took place was through the sacrificial system. So all before they got into exile, God had set up a way for the people of God to have their sins dealt with. The way that their sins were dealt with was through animal sacrifice. This was God's way of of being appeased for their sin. And we know that the ultimate appeasement happens in the person and work of Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But for the people of God in the Old Testament, it was through animal sacrifices, the altar was a place of sacrifice, and it was the only place that was authorized for this to take place. And the only place that it was authorized was in the temple. So they had to have sacrifices to appease God to cover their sins. So God starts with the altar. When the temple is being rebuilt and they're encouraged to go back to their land, the first place He starts with is the altar. Why? Well, because we go all the way back to Jeremiah chapter 29, and how long have they been in exile? 70 years. So for 70 years, their sins have not been covered. For 70 years, their sins have not been appeased for. For 70 years, they have been under the weight of their disobedience towards God. Can you feel the weight of that? For 70 years... They are under the punishment of God because of their sins, and yet God brings them out of the land, and this is how we know how loving God is. The first thing that he asks them to rebuild is the altar. Why? Because it is God's means of being appeased for their sins. It's so that their relationship is no longer impeded between them and God. And so God wants, he desires, he wants to have a close, abiding relationship with us. So the very first thing he tells them to build is the altar. Because it's their way of repentance. It's their way of drawing near to God. You see, there was a need to deal with their sin. So every morning that we saw in the text, and every evening, sacrifices were made so that they could repent to God for the things that they've done wrong, for the things that had separated them between them and God. It was their way of showing God that their heart was turning away from their sin and turning back to God. And so morning and evening, the text says, they offered sacrifices. You see, sin always separates, and it always must be dealt with. God knows this, so he provides a way in Ezra for them to deal with their sin through the sacrifices. You see, God isn't going to just pass over this. God isn't going to just, you know, be like, oh, no big deal, i give you a pass on the last 70 years. He says, no, this has to be dealt with. And that's why it's so good for us as New Testament believers that Jesus has died and dealt with our sin Once and for all. Can I get an amen this morning? He has died for our sin and he has covered all of our sin. The Bible tells us he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the sacrifice of God was dealt with on the cross so that all of your sin would be forgiven. But even in the Old Testament, God knew that their sins needed to be forgiven. So he dealt with them by having them provide these sacrifices. You see, sin is always a personal and public betrayal of God. The scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We see this in the Old Testament. So the result of their sin is animals died. They were They were killed. They were slaughtered. They were burnt for the purpose of appeasing God. As the smoke came off the altar and arose to the heavens, it appeased God. Just like in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, he appeased all of our sins, past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus, the Bible tells us, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's grace in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system dealt with their sin. In the New Testament, the gift of Jesus deals with all of our sin. All of it. John Stott says this, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. This is the good news of the gospel. You see, God can't turn a blind eye to sin because he's just. But sin is dealt with through the sacrifices that are made. So he starts here in the book of Ezra with the rebuild by establishing the altar because sin always has to be dealt with. Do you see how loving God is? God is so loving. He provides the way. He provides the means. He gives his grace so that they could be forgiven, so that you and I could be forgiven. For 70 years, this hadn't happened. We're going to see at the end of the text that the old priests and Levites, when they see the altar of God built and the foundation of the temple laid, they weep. Because the significance of their sin, the significance of their exile is seen in the visible representation of God's altar and temple being rebuilt. Maybe you're here today and God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, is beginning to show you your sin. And the result of that is you see the wreckage that you have made from your life and the exile that has brought to your life whether that's exile in relationships or exile in friendships or exile from the church. God's brought you here today to show you that so that you wouldn't just simply weep tears of sorrow, but that you would see God's provision for your life in the person and work of Jesus. That brings us to the second key word, that's repentance, but now we have atonement. Atonement. That's what was taking place on the altar. Their sins needed to be atoned for. What does that word mean, atonement? It's a death for my debt. So the death of an animal took place for the debt that they had in their sin. Jesus died in our place on the cross for our sins because you and I have a debt. We have a debt that we cannot pay. It's called our sin. It's called our failures. It's our choices to worship things other than God. And so the result of this is we have a debt that we could not pay. And atonement is a death that pays our debt. You see, sin must be dealt with, so a sacrifice must be made. This is what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, for our sake, He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What is this? This is telling us about the payment that Jesus has made on our behalf. He made him him sin. Who's he? It's the Father made him sin. Who's he? Jesus. Jesus was made to be your and my sin. He didn't know anything about sin. He was perfect. What was the purpose of that? That we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we see that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. This is what John the Baptist was talking about when he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why would John say it that way? Because people in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, would take lambs without spot. They would take bulls and rams without spot that were perfect, and they would sacrifice them on this altar. So when Jesus shows up, John says, hey, look over there, that's the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, who is without blemish and without spot, and he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. So we look to Jesus We trust in Jesus because the rebuild requires an altar of our God. We see these in the first three verses, that they needed an altar to deal with our sin. And we need a Savior who deals ultimately with our sin. Number two, the rebuild requires obedience to God's word. I I want to point this detail out to you that we started with, that we encourage you to underline this phrase. Verse number two, it says, As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So he's talking about the altar and the burnt offerings, and it says, As it is written. If you go down to verse four, you see it again, as it is written. You go down to the end of the chapter, it talks about David um, giving these directions that were given to him by God. In other words, as it was written. So what God is after is repentant hearts, and we have to be resolved to get back to God's word. So for the people of God to build the altar the way that it should be built, they had to follow God's plans. They had to follow God's word. It's not any different for you and me. For us to know what it looks like to rebuild our lives upon the plans of God, we have to go to the Word of God. For us to experience the restoration that God wants us to experience in our own hearts, in this church, and in the city of Winchester, we have to have this, God's Word, at the center of our lives. He knew that about the children of Israel, so that's why here in the book of Ezra, it says, rebuild the altar, not according to the way that you would like to build it, but according to how it's written. It starts with God's word. It requires obedience to God's word. You see, we got to live with God's word open and his word guiding our lives. You see, leaning on our own understanding always leads to exile. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we talked about this this morning in our Bible study down at the coffee shop. We said, the word of God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and his word, and he will make your paths straight. Why does he say this? He says this word in the book of Proverbs because it's wise to build your life on God's word. It's wise to rebuild your life around God's Word. Not based upon your opinion. Not based upon Facebook and what your friends think about you. Not based upon social media and what it has to offer you in terms of influence. But based upon God and His Word. We can't be led by what the culture says. We must be led by the Word of God. This is why Paul instructs Timothy in the establishment of the church in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Why does he say that? Because there's going to be seasons when we come into this place and we got our Bibles open and we come in before the service and our hearts are prepared to worship him and we're like, you know what, I'm here and I'm ready to learn from God. That's in season time. And then there's out of season time. Some of you know what out of season time feels like. I know what it feels like at times. It's like, you know what? I don't really feel like going today. I don't really feel like reading it today. What does Paul instruct him to do? Preach your opinion? Preach your perspective? No, he says preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Why does he tell him to do this? Because this is what transforms our life. And he knew that for the people of God in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezra. That for them, they needed to understand that the most important thing for them in reestablishing the house of God and the altar of God was going to come from the Word of God. So we trust Him. We obey Him. If you want to rebuild your life, it must be from a commitment to take God's Word seriously. The rebuild requires an altar of our God because we are in need of repentance and God is the one who atones for our sins. But the rebuild requires obedience to God's word because obedience is what keeps us in tune with the heart of God. Number three, the rebuild requires all hands on deck. The rebuild requires all hands on deck. We see this in verse 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and 10. All these names, all these groups of people that are mentioned, they all had responsibilities, from the priests to the Levites to the stonemasons. You know what this means? That every single person in the house of God has a purpose. That there's no wasted people. That every single person has a job, has a responsibility, has a gifting to bring to the house of God for the rebuild. Every single person. I don't know about you, but I'm super thankful for every single person. Because if it was up to me to put that new door in, forget about it. We'd have paid somebody. (laughs) If it was up to me, like right before our Christmas Eve service to figure out our frozen pipe situation, we would have had no bathrooms and probably canceled our service. If it was up to me to play music this morning, you would have been like, I'm going to go find another church. (laughs) If it was up to me, you see, it's not just about what happens here during the sermon. It's about what happens in every single one of our lives as we participate in what God has doing in the rebuild of his house by using our gifts For the glory of God. The rebuild requires all hands on deck. You see, for the altar to be rebuilt, everyone had to participate. Everyone had to participate. And it's interesting in this text, we don't have time to read it, but bricks needed to be made. In other words, work is essential to building the house of God. But you know what was essential to building... The house of the enemy? Bricks. See, work is it work is just a universal fact. Work existed before the fall. Did you know that? Before sin entered into the world, work existed. And so God uses the people of God to build the house of Egypt. They build bricks. But right here, to build the house of God, to rebuild the house of God, what do they need? Bricks. Brick by brick. The altar was built. Brick by brick, the walls would be built. Brick by brick, brick, the house of God would be rebuilt. What does this show us? They had to get busy making bricks. You see, in slavery to sin, we lay bricks. We lay foundations for the enemy in our life. When we get busy laying bricks for God... Revival happens. Restoration happens. Change happens in our lives. So either way, we're going to get busy laying bricks. Brick by brick, we must all participate. There is no one who comes out of exile who doesn't have a responsibility. They all have a responsibility to participate. There is no spectator here in this passage. They all have responsibilities. They all have roles. They all have jobs. What does this mean for us? Mosaic, the rebuild, requires all hands on deck. All hands on deck. This isn't a spectator sport or a cruise ship. I love be some cruises. I do. It's one of my favorite things. Especially carnival. I go on a carnival cruise and I feel like I'm fit like the walmart of cruises right i feel fit i'm not fit but i feel fit because everybody else on the boat isn't fit right i love it but on a cruise ship there everyone who works on that boat is there to serve you including making towel animals on your bed but in the house of god every single person has a purpose to serve each other and for the building up of the body of christ Every single one of us has a responsibility. And so we all have to take the opportunity to lay some bricks. You say, well, what are those opportunities? Well, today, immediately after the service, we're going to have a meeting about our trip to Iceland. If you're interested, I'm going to be like right over here. I'm just going to pull up a few chairs right over here. Kenny, if you could help me with that after the service, that'd be awesome. Just one chair and maybe three or four chairs, five chairs right there. That'd be great. I didn't even ask you. I just asked you right now. Thank you. Thanks for serving. Thanks for helping with the rebuild. We'll make sure Van puts all the chairs back, okay? (laughs) But that's an opportunity for you to help build the house of God as we go on this go time trip to Iceland to help the church there called Lofstoven. You can go out in the lobby today and scan the QR code and go to the many opportunities we have for go time including this whole next month, the month of March, we're going to be hosting the Youth Art Gallery. It's an opportunity to help lay the bricks of relationships and to volunteer just a couple hours in the evening, each night this coming month in the month of March, giving us an opportunity to participate in the rebuild, not just of this house, but by being here, you have an opportunity to build relationships, and it might mean the rebuild of someone's life who's not even here. This is significant. There are some other opportunities that you can participate in laying bricks. We'll be talking about this later, but giving sacrificially towards our building fund. There are some people in this passage who who offer finances. There are some people in this passage who offer their time, talent, and treasure to build bricks. There are some people who help establish systems We need people who will help lay bricks. There are opportunities every week here to lay some bricks by volunteering in Mosaic Kids. See Dara and John. These are opportunities for you to sign up and serve and use your gifts. You say, I don't have kids. That's okay. Can you pass a background check? We need some help laying bricks. How about production? We need people in the booth back there who will make the slides go and make sure my mic comes on when it should. Can we put our hands together for the team that does that every week? But we need some bricklayers. We need some people who will roll up their sleeves and use their gifts. How about this? We could use some greeters. Now, if you don't like to smile, we might need you laying bricks somewhere else. Okay? But we need people... Who are smiling and welcoming, right, Jeremy? Yep. Amen. And we need some background checks there too, okay? <laughs> How about pre service prayer? This doesn't even exist right now. This doesn't even exist. I was really, as I was writing my notes, thinking about this, as I was thinking about what God's doing in the universities around our country right now and producing revival, and it's all happened as a result of prayer. People coming together and praying. Maybe that's what God wants you to do to help lay bricks. You'll say, hey, I'll get here 30 minutes before the service and I'll pray 30 minutes that God, his spirit would fall and God would convict people. And and that's really great for the people who are quiet and even the people who have a passion for prayer to lay bricks. Absolutely. Right upstairs. We'll make a space. (laughs) How about this? Music. How about music? Music. More musicians. I told told Aaron this week that we were praying for uh, another drummer, another guitar player, and since telling him that, another worship leader. Because as God grows this house, and maybe we have to add another service, we're going to need more worship leaders. Brick by brick, small groups. As the church grows, we need more small group leaders. Who will welcome people and teach people and disciple people? The question is, where do you start? You see, service is about building us up in the house of God. And it's ultimately so that we can worship. And worship is often practical, brick by brick, signing up, showing up, using your gift. You so say, how do I know if I'm good? To try something. We probably won't have you just try playing drums. <laughs> but you know what you can try? You can try serving in kids. You can try greeting. You can try praying before the service. You can try volunteering for the art gallery. There's all kinds of things that you can try. But all of us have an opportunity to get into this responsibility that we see here And that is the building of the house of God. The rebuild requires all hands on deck. You see, the church is not a consumeristic product or a spectator sport. It is a commitment that calls for investment from all hands on deck. Lastly, the rebuild is marked by tears and joy. The rebuild is marked by tears and joy. I want to reread verse 10 through 13 And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets. This is a scene. We can't even grasp the scene. This is like bigger than Aaron coming behind me and Annalise coming to the keyboard. Okay? This is like noise. The sons of Asaph with the cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Man, I cannot wait for that moment when we get this building and we just shout, right? Can I get an amen to that? I can't wait for that moment when we get the mortgage. I know that sounds terrible, right? Or we get the building paid off and we're like, man, we're going to shout because the house of the Lord is being established here. But listen to what it says. It's not because the building was built. It's because God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It's not because the house was amazing. The whole city is still in tatters. It's because God is good. And the result of seeing that God was good is that old men weeped. And people shouted and worshipped. And it was so indistinguishable. The noise. The beauty of tears. And singing and gladness and joy all came together. You see, the early starts of the rebuild were centered on repentance and a desire for God's word and a using of their gifts, but it was all for one person God. It was for Him. And many shouted with joy. So, no matter what sorrow or sadness or struggle, they understood that their hope was in God. And that's what we do today. Some of you are gonna come to this table in just a moment and you're gonna grab the cup and you're gonna grab gluten free or regular. Some of you are gonna have tears. Because you know your sin is ever before you. And this is an opportunity to weep and to ask God to forgive you and to understand that atonement has been made. For some of you, you're gonna come to this table with joy because you look at that cup and you realize that Jesus' blood was shed for you and that his body was broken for you, and you can't help but to be filled with so much joy. either way whether it's tears or whether it's joy it's all for him